0: National Heroes Day it is roughly equivalent to the US holiday known as Veterans Day although National Heroes Day we recognize all who are in the pantheon of our heroes whereas the Veterans Day of America is recognizing those who have made the ultimate sacrifice those who have died for the nation and in a sense uh, it is good either you are Recognizing the heroes, whether they gave their lives for the nation or not, or those even nameless people who have given their lives for their nation, that is something which is a very noble virtue. But when it comes to laying down one's life, not for the nation, but for one's faith, I am prepared to say that no faith has had more martyrs than the Christian faith. Oh, there are martyrs in all kinds of faiths, but none will even come close to the number of martyrs for the Christian faith. Why is that? Why were Christians ready to die for their faith and there are even many accounts of Christians even singing through the fire or whatever modes of execution they had to suffer well that is of course fundamentally they were believers in God and believing in God they took it seriously and taking it seriously meant that they were prepared to die that is something that explains why many would rather die than give up their faith, whereas many recanted. But among Christians, while there were those who recanted, there were many more who would rather die than give up on their faith. So we are here addressing a most important question. This is not just a philosophical debate whether you are a theist or an atheist. We are asking the question, do you believe in God, not to determine your kind of religion, but rather whether that belief in God is something that bears on the way you live. And we are dealing with a passage of scriptures that is perhaps the clearest on this issue of believing in God as something that is unavoidable, that either you are living in folly by denying it, or, as we shall see, something worse can happen. And I'm referring to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Romans, and I invite you again to chapter 1 of that letter. This time, we will read from verse 19 to verse 28 to get the whole gist of this passage. Romans 1, 19 to 28. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impunity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. To here, the Apostle Paul has just announced or made a statement in verse 18 that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all humanity because of ungodliness and unrighteousness, And one may ask, therefore, the question, how is that fair if there are people who have not heard of God and there are people who sincerely do not believe in God, should they be objects of God's wrath? And as I said, that is a fair question, and there is a very definite answer of the Apostle Paul to that. His point is that, no, there is no one who does not know God. Because everyone has that knowledge ingrained in him, and because of that knowledge, he has to respond. Unfortunately, because of the sinfulness of man, man's response is one of fleeing from God, denying God, or distorting God. And therefore, everyone deserves the wrath of God. But God has provided a way of salvation by way of one who has taken upon himself that wrath and that is the gospel that we preach. But last Sunday, I gave you one side of this response to God which I called the folly of lived unbelief. Now, let me make it clear. I believe in liberty of religion and that includes those who deny religion. That includes atheists. There should be no persecution of anyone on the basis of religion. He can have whatever he wants, or he may reject anything that smells of religion to him, and he must be free as far as he makes it just a matter of belief. Now, when he begins to harm others because of that belief, well, that is another thing, and law must take over in that situation. But as far as those who deny belief in God, they are living in folly because this is a belief, this is a knowledge that is so innate, that is in nature, that it cannot be consistent for one to live a life that is in denial of God. But as foolish as living in unbelief of God is, there is something worse than that. And that is, I call, unlived belief. This is the man who professes belief in God. He cannot deny it. And because it is ingrained in his knowledge, if he is consistent with what he knows, he must believe in God, but he does not live out that belief. So while it is folly to live in unbelief of God, this unlived belief I call evil. And I want you to hear this message, unlived belief in God. Compounds the evil of ungodly living. Ang paniniwala sa Diyos na hindi pinamumuhay ay nagpapapigat sa buhay na hindi makadyos. lived belief in God compounds the evil of ungodly living. By unlived's belief, I refer to those who, deny God, who do not deny God as reality But instead of just denying, they ignore. They live as if there were no God. This is an ignored belief in God or an unlived belief in God. Apostle Paul describes these people in verse 28 as those who do not see fit To acknowledge God. I like better the older translation in the New King James that says, They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. In other words, they have the knowledge. They know it. They cannot deny that there is God. They just do not want to live by it. They just do not want to retain God in their knowledge. The Greek word for retain is in the sense of holding oneself to a thing. When you believe that something is true, you hold yourself to it and you live consistent with it. But these people, they know that God is true. They cannot deny the reality of His existence, but they just live like there is no God. This is unlived belief. And we will see how worse this is. I pointed last week to the word exchange. For those who deny God, what they do is exchange the glory of God for idols. That's the folly of lived unbelief. But twice more, the word exchange occurs in this passage. And both will tell you the worst thing it is for someone who does not deny God and yet will live like there is no God. In these two words or two more occurrences of exchange, we see two things, how such a life is even worse. First, it is stubborn rejection of the truth. Ito ay pagmamatigas na pagtanggi sa katotohanan. Stubborn rejection of the truth. And the second is, it is abandoned perversion of the good. Ito ay walang pakundangan. Napagbabaluktot ng mabuti. An abandoned perversion of the good. These are the two things that happen when one professes belief in God but would not live according to that belief. He has an unlived belief. The first thing that makes it worse is that it involves stubborn rejection of the truth. The second time the word exchange occurs is in verse 25, which says they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is about their intellectual justification for a life of rejection of God. You see, every person somehow must have an explanation for the way he lives, whether it makes him happy or he thinks it, he makes others happy But everyone will have to grasp on an explanation for his life. And the real, most fundamental explanation for life is that there is God. That God is creator. That God is law giver. That God is one to whom we have to do as a judge. That's the fundamental explanation. But they do not want that kind of explanation. So they grasp on a lie. And they exchange it. For the explanation that alone is the foundation of godly living, they exchange a lie. So there are many lies that sinners can avail of to justify ungodly living. Maraming mga kasinungalingan, mga panliling lang para bigyang dahilan ang sariling pamumuhay na hindi makadiyos. Apostle Paul is not referring to any particular lie. That is why he uses the word a lie, not the lie. Any kind of lie will do as long as it has the function of exchanging the truth of God. So man will try to explain his life in order to make it coherent as far as his mind is concerned and in explaining it to others, but in so doing... He has displaced the only real explanation for life that matters for eternity. No truth explains life as it really is than the truth of God. And you may sit there or watch from your online platform and think that there are many things to explain your life, your education, your ambition, your happiness, your friends, and many other things can be readily available to explain your life, but fundamentally and in terms of eternity, nothing truly explains life except the truth of God, but accepting the truth of God as the explanation of life for a sinner who will not repent is too much of a self-surrender. So he would rather exchange it. And there is no running out of any explanation available as long as it is not God na may be describing your life, my friend. You're not denying God. The fact that you're here and the fact that you're listening from your platform is proof that you still believe in God and you still want to have some place for God. But He does not explain your life. Once Sunday is over, you go back to a life that is explained only by ambition and by friends and by pleasure, by amusement, or any other thing but God. And then come Sunday, oh yes, God is there, I'm not denying Him, so back to God. But after that, you go back to the cycle of ungodly living. And this is a miserable illusion of living in a bubble of your own making, as long as you do not give entry to God except on those occasions that you, mis- you must show some kind of religion. The result is a life that has justification for its own existence and cycle, but without God as the truth that explains life. And you know what the Bible says of that? Listen to Proverbs 21 and verse 30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Or people may cheer you for being wise. How did you come up with that kind of philosophy? Wonderful. And people may affirm you for that kind of living that has no God in it. And though people may cheer you and affirm you, in reality, that counsel, that wisdom, that understanding will not avail against the Lord. So what is it that you are using as an explanation For your life. For the academic minded, perhaps science is its own chosen lie. No, I'm not saying that science is a lie. Science is a revelation or a means of God for us to know more of His creation, His revelation. But when science is used to deny creation, deny the Creator, and propound the idea, that man is all he needs as self-sufficient to explain his life, then science is being used for a lie. And that's what many people will use. And they will appear intelligent and wise to the world, but they do not realize they are living in a lie. And many of our great educational institutions, Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, Oxford, you name it, At the beginning, these were institutions that were bastions of belief in God. They existed in order to perpetuate and defend belief in God as the real foundation of intellectual pursuit. Well, today, these institutions have given themselves to a lie. Perhaps you're not the academic-minded and your lie may be to explain it in other ways. Biological existence, you live to it. You live to satisfy your appetites, whatever those appetites may be. Or your life is financial. Everything revolves around money. Where money goes, it's a lure you cannot resist. And you go to where it goes in whatever direction. It may be political or power But whatever it is, you are using a lie in order to exchange for the truth of God. I'm sure you have heard of the children's story, the emperor has no clothes. Uh, There was this emperor preparing for a parade and he commanded his aides to prepare him the best clothes. And they called experts. And the experts showed him the thread, but there was nothing actually there. But to the emperor's mind, these are experts. You don't want to contravene experts, so you will appear foolish. So, okay, and so he was dressed with nothing, but he was going along with a lie that it is something because experts were telling him so, and he paraded without clothes and everybody was just going along with a lie until one child could not resist himself and said, Ma, look, the emperor has no clothes. And everybody laughed. He became the laughing stock of his own people. And that is how many people today are living. Except that no one will tell them the emperor has no clothes. They're living a lie because the experts say so. Because majority is with them. Or whatever it is that affirm you, it is a lie if it is not God that explains the fundamental of living. I remind you that this is an address by Paul to believers, not to unbelievers. And so my challenge is to you as believers as believers, demonstrate how the truth of God is defining of your life. Bilang mana ng palataya, ipakita mo paanong ang katotohanan ng Diyos ang nagbibigay katuturan sa iyong buhay. If a Christian lives his beliefs, his life would be described in biblical terminology as godly. To be godly means you will not look at anything of any issue in life without reference to what God's will is. Choosing your your vocation, even choosing your relations, even choosing your path, and all these other choices, you determine them in the light of what you know God's will is. That is godliness. And that's how Christians should live. Christians should not live with a morose and dour disposition that tell people it is a sad thing to be a Christian. Oh no, we show the world that defining your life with God is the best thing you can do because it is the truth. It is not a lie. Godliness is not a threat to your biological life or to your vocational life. If anything, it is a boost. Paul tells Timothy so in First Timothy 4 verse 8, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. So, hindi banta ang pagiging makadiyos. Hindi nito sinasabi na magiging malungkot ang buhay mo dahil ikaw ay mano ng palataya. Ang tunay na pagkamakadiyos ay pangako na narito na sa buhay at sa buhay na darating. But the lie has taken over the world of unbelievers. They think that it is a choice of whether being godly and therefore give up your vocation, give up your friends, give up your ambition, and they are living a lie. But it is a sad case if one is a professed Christian, yet he lives in a lie. He believes in God, so he says, but he ignores him. And I'm telling you, even if you are watching now, you have not been in the assembly of this church as God's will is. However much you convince yourself, you still have a place for God. You're living in a lie. A lie that will destroy you. You know the commands of God, but if you ignore Him to live in a lie that it will not count, there is the judgment to come your believing in god while persistently ignoring him will make your ungodliness more culpable heavier compounded you will keep affirming your life day by day living in the lie oh god will understand god is forgiving but there is no life that is godly in your day to day That is living a life. But to those who have truly believed in God as revealed in Jesus Christ, there will be discouragements. There will be persistent opposition. And the call of the scripture is just go on because it is the truth. And one day the truth will be vindicated despite the lies of this world. Sometimes it will mean a challenge on the intellectual level, but be principled on the truth of God. I have nothing to exchange for the truth of God. I have read most of the lies, and they have nothing to give when it comes to both this present life and the life to come. All that they can give are illusions of happiness and success that last only in this time, but nothing to prepare them for the life to come. And they keep sitting on the bench of judgment against the idea of God defining their lives. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay with the title, God in the Duck. D-O-C-K. And I need to explain that from the context of a British court. In a British court, the judge sits in what is called the bench. And then the one who is tried is in a circle enclosed and standing, not like what you see in an American trial scene, or where the accused is sitting comfortably beside his lawyer, that's not it in the British court. In the British court, the tried person is in a circle called the duck. Now, when C.S. Lewis says, God in the duck, it means that that is how men treat God. They are the ones in the bench. They are the ones to judge God. Oh, they may even be so benevolent and give God a good grade, but as long as God is in the dark, they can live their lives without the judgment of God upon them. As long as they are in the bench, that's how man is living in a lie. He puts God in the dark without realizing that one day he will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is stubborn rejection of the truth. But there is one more thing that makes that life worse than just unbelief in God. And that is abandoned perversion of the good. Walang pakundangan na pagbabaluktot ng mabuti. The third time the word exchange is used is in verse 26. It does not sound good to the ear. Their women exchanged. Natural relations. And then it goes on with men. with men. This is not condemnation of sexual relations as such. Paul calls it natural. And in order to make it moral, it must be marital. But it is applicable to all that God created as good... And to be naturally enjoyed, but because man rejected God as the one who defines what is good, what he has done is to make perversion of it. He perverts what is naturally good for his own perverted pleasure. So here we see how unlived belief in God Justifies perverted morality, which adds heaviness to the ungodly life. Pag hindi ka namumuhay, ayon sa paniniwala mo sa Dios ay pinabibigat lalo nito ang iyong buhay na hindi makadiyos. It applies to anything good that God has given for man to enjoy in a proper way according to his moral boundaries. Food is good, but when overeaten, it is gluttony. And every other thing for our natural enjoyment, we, we, this is given by the good God. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God is being good by giving us the day of rest. But when life is one that is lived, defined now by 24-7, you see how they pervert what God has given us good. But you and I know that in our passage, Apostle Paul is singling out one particular case of compounded perversion. And that is the perversion of sexual relationship. many people think that it is today that we have to deal with the same-sex relationship being naturally accepted? Well, there are many compounding things developed in our present day. But back then in the Roman Empire, it was already a common thing. They called it pederasty. Pederasty is relationship with young people of your same sex, particularly men with boys. No less than Alexander the Great has his group of boys for his own pleasure. This is compounded immorality made worse by the fact that it is using it in the name of God's good. And our generation has made it of the most compounded perversion of all by making it a law, by making it a matter for celebration. And in the past, we only had to deal with homosexuality, people we call gay and lesbians who have an attraction to the same sex, the same gender, and that already is a perversion on the level of desire. When lived out, it becomes a more compounded uh, culpable perversion. But in our day... You add now transgenderism that says whatever you think in your mind to identify as you are. Never mind your biological identity that you are male or female if in your mind you want to think you are female even if you are male then you are a trans woman. If you want to think you are Male, even though you are biologically female, then you are a trans man. And they have made laws to make it a matter of imperative that people should so recognize. Some institutions have come to the point of even making it a law that a child should be gender transitioned without parental consent because that is his right. There is a case of a couple in the U.S. where they were denied adoption of uh, orphans because of their Christian conviction. And so the child will not be affirmed if he happens to be one who belongs to the LGBTQIA, and I don't know else what alphabets follow, but you see here the worsening and compounded perversion happening in our day. And they will combine with it their science and their lie. And they say that through science, they can transition a male into a female. No one has done that except by lying, giving him an appearance of a woman, but he has not changed his basic sexuality nor his hormonal composition. And yet, society is expected not just to accept it, Society is expected to celebrate it. And you can have all the explanation to make it sound so rational. Beneath it all is ignoring God. And when you use God even to justify such immorality, it is doubly totally culpable like what the governor of California did, Gavin Newsom, who put up a big billboard for pro-abortion. And on the billboard is the verse, love your neighbor as yourself. How can you come up with that kind of perversion and use the word of God to justify it? It is only... The hardness and the callousness of human morality that it has become because of ignoring God. Now, many are dying today in America from fentanyl because of the open borders. People coming from other countries are bringing fentanyl with them. Fentanyl is worse than our. Metaphetamine uh, or shabu. Fentanyl is good for pain management, but when ingested, it is fatal, and thousands are dying because of it. Something good used for something wrong kills. And this is what man is doing because of his unbelief, because of his lie. He has Abandon himself to perverting the good. But again, this is addressed to believers. And I challenge you as believers, be loyal to God in this immoral world through compassion without compromise. That's the call. Compassion without compromise. Compassion calls for us to commiserate with a miserable condition of unbelieving humanity. Whether it is an unbelief that is folly or an unlived belief which is evil, we are called to be compassionate. These are people groping for meaning in life, which they will never find as long as they are ignoring God. but it is compassion without compromise. I call this perversion of morality abandoned. Abandoned because it is not only that they abandoned themselves to it, but three times you read in the passage how God has abandoned that kind of lifestyle. God gave them up. God gave them over to their debased mind. What Paul is saying is graver sinfulness is itself punishment for stubborn sinning. Because that means God has removed restraints. And so you find yourself abandoning. These people are abandoning themselves to a sinful lifestyle without restraint. And that is because that is a mark of people abandoned by God because of their Sinfulness. Compassion, yes. Compromise, no. So, our compassion is not one that will compromise. The world wants us to stop calling it sin. And perhaps in your mind, you are hoping that somehow I will talk only about the goodness of God and the favor of God. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about judgment. But my friend, ultimately, that is not compassionate. It is compassion God knows that dictates in my heart to tell you that you are sinning. And by sinning without repentance, you are rushing into a Christless eternity. And in the final state, it is without the presence of God. Nothing can be conceived as miserable as that and your only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ come to Him, cast yourself upon Him in repentance do it today, there is no real meaning to life unless you come back to one who has given you that life, a life that should be lived for God and that God has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ, come to Him He is good He is compassionate, but he will not brook sinfulness without repentance. And for the Christian, that means there will be times people will not understand us. Even our loved ones may not understand us. But why should we stand on compassion without compromise? There was a time John Calvin was threatened with all kinds of suffering, if he would not compromise his principle when he was ministering in Geneva. And he said something that should also define our principle. He said, No, no torture is more grievous than a bad conscience. You can be tortured by racks, you can be tortured by men with all kinds of pain. John Calvin is saying for a man of God, nothing tortures more painfully than when you are alone at night and you know that you have not lived up to your belief in God because you chose to be in favor with men and with his world. That is not the Christian. The Christian is one who will stand before God and before men true to his principle that God is the fundamental explanation of life and this God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Christ is now King. It is therefore time to break all idols of our own making, whether in crude fashion or in a more sophisticated fashion. Everything that challenges the fundamental centrality of God in Christ It is the Christian's occupation throughout his life to challenge so that his life is a life lived for God. And we will respond with that hymn, which is a prayer for a closer walk with God. And the fifth verse is the right response in the light of this truth. The dearest idol I have known Whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. May that be a result as we think of God as the fundamental truth in Jesus Christ for our lives. Let us sing, oh, for a closer walk with God. Let's close in prayer. Our great God and gracious heavenly Father, Indeed, we thank you for a passage like this, where the Apostle Paul lays bare the condition of humanity in its depravity, a humanity that has rejected that innate and ingrained knowledge of God. And sometimes it results in idolatry for those who exchange the glory of God. But as foolish as that, Folly may be, it is even worse for those who profess belief in God, but they do not live according to that belief. It is the evil of unlived belief. And if I have spoken to anyone in this hour of your message, those who are here, those listening from our online platform They may show on days like this that there's still a place they give to God, but come Monday and other days of the week, their lives are not characterized by the fundamental definition that should propel life, and that is the truth of God. Instead, they are living in a lie, a lie that... Give some coherent justification for the way they live. But whatever that lie is, expose it for what it is. For there is no lie that can exchange for the truth of God. No understanding, no wisdom, no counsel can avail against God. And we pray that we may know the value of true godliness. It is not giving up on vocation or on happiness. Indeed, there is, through godliness, a much better and deeper way of being happy in life, of being fruitful. But all because we live for God. And we live for God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And we see this compounded evil of ungodliness in the perverted good that many in our society live today, especially those in the West who have turned what is good into a perversion for their own pleasure. Father, as believers, may we look at these developments not as something for us, to be contemptuous of but rather to grieve and to be compassionate to know that they live in a miserable quest for meaning without finding it but our compassion must be bounded by your truth and it is a compassion without compromise for we agree with John Calvin that there is no torture, more painful than a bad conscience so make us be compassionate but make us so compassionate in a way that is true to the message save souls and sinners today and edify your saints for your glory now may the love of the father the grace of his son the lord jesus christ and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.